Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank You and praise You and worship You. We thank You that You're the King of kings and Lord of lords and God of gods. We're so grateful, Lord, that You're the mighty God. Thank You, Father, for Your Word, which is written to us as an owner's manual. And thank You, Lord, for opening our understanding to the Word. And thank You, Lord, for giving us the great revelation of who You are, the mighty King, the God of gods, and the Lord of lords, and you're our Lord, our God, our Savior, and you love us beyond our wildest dreams. Thank you, Father, for being our Daddy. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, I'm going to start in Galatians chapter 5 tonight. Let's go over to Galatians chapter 5. Let's look here and see what the Lord has to say in Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. Okay. I flipped through it two or three times there trying to get to it. And as I did that, it reminded me about a gentleman and his wife here a year or so ago came to the ministry center from out in the New Mexico area. And they had a son, a teenage son, that was extremely critically ill. And they brought him with them. And... I asked them, I said, are you all Christians? And they said, yes. Oh, yes, yes, we're Christians. I said, you go to church? They said, yes. I said, well, good. I said, uh, let's uh, go to the Word and let's see some of the promises of God. And I told him, would you turn in your Bible to the book of Matthew? And he had no idea where the book of Matthew was. I said, you don't know where the book of Matthew is? And you go to church? He said, yeah, I go to church some. But he said, I don't know where that book is at. If you don't know where the book of Matthew is at, do you think my work's cut out for me? It really was that day. They had no knowledge of the Word of God whatsoever. But yet, they professed to be children of God. Now, think what the king says. If you're my children, study my Word to show yourself approved unto God. Not read it, study it. Second Timothy 2.15 Now we wonder why the enemy comes and beats upon us. Why do you think the enemy comes and beats upon us when we have no idea who we are? See, the thing about it is, first of all, the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs compares the body with a city. And it says the city that has no walls or that has its gates open at night, the enemy comes in. Now, see, he talk, he's talking about our bodies. Now, if we leave the gates, say we got walls up, say we got a little bit of knowledge, but we haven't got the gates shut. At night, if you leave the gates open, guess who's going to come in? The enemy. He's going to come in and sneak into your city. That's why at night they had walls around these cities and gates, and they closed the gates to keep people out they didn't want in during the night. What if you don't even have a wall around your city? What if your city's unwalled and ungated? Guess what the enemy's going to do to you? He's going to come in like a flood, isn't he? That would be just like taking the walls down around Dallas, if I were to say we give all the police officers a two-week vacation, you guys don't have to show up for two weeks, we would be not only opening the gates, we'd be taking the walls down, wouldn't we? 
And you talk about major chaos. Yeah, we almost have it with the walls up, don't we? Every day. That's absolutely right. As we saw that video the other night of him on that chase after that man had raped that little nine-year-old girl, he chased him. I mean, wow. A ten-minute chase at high speed through Dallas. you have any idea how many intersections and things you can go through? And we got to see that and how that the Lord protected him. And then when he prayed the prayer of faith and asked the Lord to stop the guy, he stopped him. Run him into a school bus or under a school bus or something, and he stopped him. It's just so amazing. But we have to learn the Word. If we don't know the Word, we're a pushover to the enemy. Now then, we read the Word, and we do not understand the Word, and it's obvious because Paul is telling these people at Galatia, I mean, he's really been on their case. When you read the book of Galatians, you'll see starting at the beginning, I mean, right at the beginning, he's really on their case as to what they believe. You know, do you, are you walking in the law? Are you walking by faith? Did you receive the power of the Spirit by the law or the walking by faith? Well, of course, we know we receive, we receive Jesus by faith. And He does miracles among us by faith and not by the law. And so we get over, we, by the time we get to Galatians chapter 5, we see Him talking about something that is really awesome here. Galatians 5, He says, Stand fast. What did he say? Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. Stand fast in this liberty. In other words, we have freedom in Christ. We are no longer under bondage. And he said, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now then, Christians, so many of us Christians, we can be entangled with that bondage. Now then, we may say, I'm going to spend an hour a day in prayer. <clears throat> I think about the story I heard about a gentleman. In fact, I'll give his name because I heard him tell it on television. So he told it nationwide, so it wouldn't hurt if I tell it again, I guess. But this, this man was Andrew Womack. And he said that I used to have a prayer time with God every morning about 10 or 15 minutes. He said, I'd take 10 or 15 minutes and I'd pray and I'd love on the Lord and then I'd go about doing my business. But he said, as I went, he said, I'm constantly thanking God, praising Him, telling Him how much I love Him and all this kind of stuff. But you know, I didn't just stop and take a point and set aside another 15 minutes to pray. He said, I always would do that every morning when I woke up. 10 or 15 minutes, I'd spend just praising Him, worshiping Him, thanking Him and just talking to him, and then I'd get up and go and do my thing. He said, one day a man came up to me and said, Andrew, you're such a powerful ministry of God's Word. He said, you must spend a lot of time in prayer. He said, well, I guess I do spend quite a bit in prayer. But he said, you know, I only spend about 10 or 15 minutes every morning with God. He said, look, if you only spend 10 or 15 minutes with God every morning... If you were to spend an hour with him, there's no telling what he could do with you. So I thought, okay, Lord, I'm going to make a pact with you that I'm going to take the first hour of every morning and I'm going to spend that hour in prayer with you. He said, now, praying that 10 or 15 minutes was fun. I could have fun with Jesus talking to him in my 10 or 15 minutes of prayer time. But then when I started praying... 
for an hour, he said it became bondage. He said, I prayed about things I didn't, you know, he said it was awesome what I tried to pray about to make it last an hour. He said, I did this for, I don't know, I think it was a month or two or three or whatever it was. One day he said, I'm there in my prayer time. And he said, I've been praying about 45 minutes. And all of a sudden he said, God, this prayer time ain't no fun no more. He said, Lord spoke to me. He said, Andrew, I'm not enjoying it either. (laughs) Now, wouldn't that rock your boat? God wasn't enjoying it either, huh? You'd say, well, surely he's enjoying it, but he wasn't. He wasn't doing it out of love. He was doing it out of a bondage. Hey, if you say, Lord, I'm going to spend the first 15 minutes with you, or if he's going to spend the first hour with you every morning, if God leads you to spend an hour with him in the morning, then do it all in love, and he'll enjoy it, and you'll enjoy it. But if he only calls you to spend 15 minutes with him in prayer, if you try to do an hour, you're going to make that bondage. And if you say, I can't do nothing this morning until I pray that hour. Now, if you let that bondage get through to you, there's going to be days that things will come up in your life when you need to get up early and go do something, and you're not going to have that time to spend an hour with him. So you just get up in the morning and say, Lord, I love you. We've got things to do today. We're going to be about your business. But, Lord, we'll try to catch up with you somewhere down the line a little later. But we want to tell you we love you. And as we go during the course of the day, we're worshiping him, praising him, giving him the glory and the praise. And, therefore, we have not let this become a bondage to us. Don't get into bondage as a Christian. We're not under bondage. We're under freedom. We have liberty in Christ. Paul said, all things are free to me. You know, not everything is good, but all things are free. And I'm not in bondage. I have liberty to do all things. And somebody says, well, Thurman, if you have liberty, then why don't you, do you have the freedom to smoke? I said, sure. I could smoke if I wanted to. But since I know they're harmful to the body, I'm not going to destroy my body with nicotine. So I'm not going to get into that. Because usually when you start smoking, it becomes a bondage. You have to spend your money, and it becomes something that you're addicted to, and then you spend your money, and you have to smoke. And then when you come in somewhere, not only do you smell bad, but then if you're going to be in there a little while, you have to get up and take a break and go outside and stand outside, sometimes in the cold, to smoke a cigarette. I'm not under that bondage. You know, I'm not ever going to go there. Just like, do you have the freedom to drink wine? Sure, I could drink wine if I wanted to. In fact, when we were asked to come to Germany last year to speak, one of the evening meals when they had a, such a fantastic dinner for all the staff, and we were invited, guess what's sitting around the table? Glasses of wine. You know, they drink it over there. It's normal. So, Cheryl, when we walked in, she saw that. She said, what are you going to do? I said, well, we have freedom in Christ. I'm going to try to drink it. I said, I, I haven't drank any wine, so I don't know if I even like it or not. So we sat down there, you know, and after everything had been blessed, I took a little sip of it, and I thought, ooh, that stuff's awful. I don't like that stuff at all. So I took two or three little sips of it during the course of the evening. Everybody else was drinking their wine, and they were filling their glasses up. A little glass wasn't but about that tall. It was on a big, long stem, pretty glass. But it would hold just maybe a couple ounces at the most. And uh, everybody would drink one or two glasses of wine except me and Cheryl. Cheryl didn't drink hers either. Finally, 
one of the men that was the head of the ministry said, uh, why are you not drinking your wine? I said, well, number one, I have freedom to do what I want to, and it doesn't taste good, so I don't like it. So I said, you know, I'm not in bondage. I'm free. I can do anything I want to do. I said, I don't have a problem. Anybody drinks it. But I said, I don't like it. I said, I don't drink it at home. I tried to drink it, but I don't like the taste. And so I said, you know, I'd just much rather have a glass of iced tea or a glass of water. But I said, is the wine I don't like? He said, you don't, you don't drink wine at all? I said, no. He said, do you drink beer? I said, no. He said, everybody in Germany drinks beer. I said, well, you got one over here now that don't drink it. So here's one. I said, I have freedom in Christ. I have liberty. I can drink it if I want to, but if it don't taste good to me, I don't have to drink it. So I said, I don't drink it. So I'm not going to let anything become a bondage to me, or I'm sure going to try not to let nothing become a bondage to me. If you like to sit down with a glass of red wine at dinner... And if I'm at your house, I have no problem. You can drink your wine if you want to. But I have freedom in Christ to do that. But what if I have a Baptist brother, which I was raised up with, and they think drinking is absolutely a no-no. So now if I have a Baptist brother over to my house and I were to get out the wine, what do you think some of them might feel like? They might feel offended. So then if it offends my brother, then I don't have that freedom to drink it. Paul even goes so far to say that if you eat meat and it offends your brother, don't eat it. You know, he said some people can only eat vegetables because they don't know their freedom in Christ. But I am not under bondage of no kind. So he's trying to tell us, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. We have freedom. We have freedom to live in a state of freedom. We can drink what you want to. You don't want to let nothing come under bondage to you. And you don't want to eat or drink anything that would be devastating to your body. Because there's things you could eat and drink that, is, that will do devastating things to your body. Now, y'all come on in, ladies. One of the things that you'll have to learn about, in fact, Ty was telling me the other day, since he's a doctor and he knows all these things, I don't know these things, but he said there is drugs on the market and he named some of the drugs that's out there. I couldn't, again, uh, him and his wife's getting ready for a big house full of people that's coming and so he called me and I said, Thurman, we just can't make it tonight. He said, we got a house full coming for Thanksgiving and said, we're getting things ready and said, there's just not any way. We're going to be able to get it, be able to come tonight and then get back and get everything done for Thanksgiving Day. I said, I understand. You know, you have freedom. You know, no problem. You know, you can stay at home tonight if you want to. It's not a big deal. I said, I will be there. But he was telling me about uh, some drugs that they use openly on the market to control blood pressure. And how many people do you know have blood pressure problems? Lots of them. But he said, they always tell you to come back when they start giving you this drug, which will control your blood pressure. But he said, they tell you to come back every six months for a test of your liver. Because he said, it is a known fact this drug will destroy your liver. And it only takes from one to three years to kill your liver. 
That's a side effect. Okay, it does a great job controlling your blood pressure, but it kills your liver. Do you know you can't live without a liver? You've got to have it. Does that make sense? No, but you know what they do? Whenever your liver gets to the point where it's failing, they said, now your liver is failing and you need a liver transplant and that only costs a half a million dollars. We can fix you up, give you a new liver, transplant you on. Hey, it's all done in the name of money. It's all done in the name of money. You have no idea the people today that are sick and afflicted because they have taken drugs to do something and the drugs they've taken, the side effects, have destroyed their bodies prematurely. And there's multitudes of them out there. I'm going to tell you, there's not a drug on the market they got today that I would put in this body. Of course, I'm walking by faith. I'm totally walking by faith. In fact, we ministered to a family the other day that had a little 30, what was she, 38-year-old girl that was in a wheelchair, totally, totally couldn't do nothing. They said she was completely, totally normal till she was four years old. And then she got that series of shots that, you know, the doctors give you when they give the children this series of shots for everything. And those had a reaction to her, and it made her like that. And she'd been like that ever since she was four. And she was perfectly normal until she was four. And then they give her those shots, and she began to have these reactions to them. And she, now then at 38, she's completely a vegetable. Hey, I think she'd have been better off if she had not taken the shots. I don't believe in those things. I'm not going to take them. I mean, where I walk now in my walk of faith, if Jesus is not big enough to heal me, the medicines the world makes, forget it. I'm not going to put them in this piece of flesh. I ain't going to put it in my flesh. Now, there may be some things that God makes, and I know He makes a lot of things that are made from natural things that can do great things for your body and heal your body. Great things. There's many things that are natural things that can do great, wonderful things for your body. And, you know, you need to learn about those things. Those things that's there and prayer can heal anything in your body. But those synthetic drugs that the medical, pharmaceutical company is making today, those are made and every one of them has some kind of a serious side effect. A serious side effect. And usually the side effect will be worse than what you had. So when you read the side effects, believe me, I'm not taking them. I am not going to put that stuff in my body. Now then, there is things, you know, that they've made, you know, that make them from natural things that can do great things. In fact, Ty was telling me about one of those the other night. He said, uh, tetanus. He said, I think three out of four people that got tetanus died until they came up with this something, I forgot what it was, it is the thing that God made, it's a type of, uh, 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 what is it, somebody said something, uh, what day, okay, some kind of a penicillin that had been made from something that God made that was natural, that you could give it, a little of it to a person, and 100% of the times it had no side effects, so nobody 
and it would kill tetanus every time. He said, in fact, the other day his daughter came down with an infection of tetanus. He said, now that's my daughter and I'm a man of faith. What do I do? I pray for her or I give her this penicillin? And he said, I know the penicillin is going to heal her just like that. It will do it every time. So he said, I prayed for her and gave her the penicillin and said it killed it just like that. She was healed. Now then, just like the other day, he had a bull that had something. He said, I had a drug that's man-made, or not man-made, but medicine that God had made. They had taken it and converted it into some kind of medicine. And he said, I know with the problem my animal had, if I gave him that injection of this stuff, it'll heal it every time. But he said the other day, I told God he had a big bull, about a, I forget, two or $3,000 bull, big fancy bull, because he raises those big ones. He has had some of the big world champion bulls at the stock show and all kinds of stuff. So he's raised some powerful animals in his life. He said, one of them came down with this disease. And he said, this time, God, I'm just going to trust you. I believe I'm walking in total obedience to your word, and I'm going to pray and believe you're going to heal that bull. And he said, he prayed, and the bull died. He said, I know if I give him that injection, that'll live. I know it. So he said, you know, I think God was using me as a medical doctor to know that he made this, and he made it from something he made, and if I had give it to that animal, he would have healed him. He said, you know, I can go back in the Scripture and show you where God would use a poultice one time to heal a king, a fig leaf, or whatever he did. Or the next time, just prayer. But when we ask God what to do, God will tell us what to do. You know, He will speak to us. He is a God that speaks. And when you hear that voice, you better obey that voice if you want His blessings to keep going. Now then, last Sunday we talked a little bit about hearing God's voice and how we don't do what He tells us several times. And I give you some examples in my last Sunday on the tapes and CDs that we made Sunday. And I think we have those here tonight back there. Yeah, I see them back there. But when we listened to God, of course, Sunday night after church was over, one of the couples came up and said, we want to tell you our experience about how we heard the voice of God. He said, a few years ago, I was working for a road service. He said, they called me at night and said there was a lady stopped on the road on the highway at a certain place out of gas. So he said, when I got there, said my wife said, she said, I'll go with you. And so since she got in the van and went with me, she said, we went out there and she had, on the freeway, she had pulled on the left-hand shoulder when her car stopped running, run out of gas. So she said, she is off of the shoulder, onto the shoulder, I mean, in safety, supposedly. But he said, somebody else had stopped to help her and they had a van and they stopped behind her. So he said, I stopped behind their van. That I got out, got the gas, walked up to the front, and the gas tank was in the middle of the back. And I pulled a little door down and said, I'm putting the gasoline in her car. And I hear this spirit talk to me. I didn't hear an audible voice, but he said, I heard my spirit say, get out from between the two cars. So he said, it was so clear. He said, I immediately stopped putting gas in and walked out in the median. He said, I looked up and my wife was getting out of the van. She was walking out in the median. And he said, what I didn't know is she was sitting on the passenger side of the van and the Spirit had spoken to her and told her in the Spirit, said, get out of the van and go 
out into the median. So she did. She got out and she walked out there and was standing there for a few moments. And she thought, this is crazy. What am I doing standing out here? So she said, I go back over, open the driver's door and get in on the driver's side. And the voice spoke to me again. If you're going to disobey me, at least stay on the driver's side. She said, this time the voice was so clear, I just stopped dead still and didn't move. And about that time, a drunk doing 85 miles an hour hit their van right in the rear end. A toolbox in the back of the van went right over the top of the seat. If I'd have been on that side, she said, it would have tucked my head off. Went right through the windshield, right through the back glasses of the second van, and all the way into the other van. That's how much impact. At 85 miles an hour, that man hit a stopped vehicle. She said, they had to take me to the hospital, and sure enough, my neck was broken. She said, that night, after they x-rayed me and my neck was broken, my husband, which had been obedient, had walked out in the median, had listened to the voice of God, had done what he had said, and he said, I didn't hear an audible voice, but I heard my spirit tell me to do this. I heard a voice within me tell me to do this, as well as she did. But then she disobeyed and went back and got back in the van instead of staying where the Lord had told her to go, and it wound up with a broken neck. But she said, after confirmation from x-ray, she had a broken neck. She said, my husband and several other Christian friends of ours began to pray over me, prayed over me all night. She said, the next morning... I felt so good I could move my head and everything. And the doctor said, you should not be able to move your neck. But she said, I could. And they x-rayed me again. And she said, much to their surprise, I was completely healed. They released me and I went home. And she said, that confirmed to me that even when we're disobedient and go against the will of God and disobey Him, if we pray and seek His face, He will still come back and restore us even after He has warned us in advance what to do. Boy, that's a pretty awesome God we serve, isn't it, brother? I'm grateful that you and me serve a God like that. But now listen, we need to learn that we have freedom in Christ. We're free. He has made us the righteousness of God in Christ. We're not under any kind of bondage and don't let anything become a bondage to you as a Christian. I mean, even doing things for Jesus, don't let it become a bondage. Don't say, I'm going to spend five hours a day with Jesus every day dedicated. Well, you might not be able to spend five hours every day with Him. You know, we ought to get up in the morning praising the Lord, worshiping Him, and when we, if we don't have, if we, if we do take a, 30 minutes or an hour in the morning to spend quiet time with God. If you do that, you set that aside. And then one day something comes up where you don't have that time. Just get up in the morning and say, Lord, I love you. I've got some things i got to do, and I'm going to keep you on my heart all day today as I go. But, Lord, I don't have the time right now, but I'll try to catch up somewhere. And maybe you've got to go somewhere. You ride down the road in a car. As you're riding down the road in a car, you can talk to him and catch up on that 30 minutes, can't you, brother? Sure you can. You can tell him you love him. You can get out his word. You can read it. Or you can wait till you get back home that evening and say, Lord, I was really busy today. Uh, Brother John come by to get me today, and I had to go with him and do something. And now then, Lord, that we got that done, it's 6 o'clock in the evening. I'm going to sit down and have an evening meal with my wife. And then I'm going to go in, and I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to spend the 30 minutes or an hour with you and your word. And he don't, he don't mind that. He loves that. 
you know. But He don't want to get you under no kind of bondage. See, that's what so many people, they get under bondage, saying, I have to do this at this time every day. No, you don't have to do nothing. You're free in Christ. He wants you to give Him your all 24-7. That's what He wants. But He knows you've got work to do. He knows you've got people to chase down, you know. And He knows that there's times when you're chasing them. When you should be praying, you may be thinking so you know, intently about trying to catch that guy. You forget to talk to him, right? That's true. But when you do stop and think about him and ask him to do something, boy, he does great things, doesn't he? And that's wonderful too. But see, he doesn't hold you under bondage to that. You're free. You're free in Christ. So stand fast in this. Stand fast. Therefore, in the liberty or the freedom that you and I have in Christ. Now, he's made us free and do not be entangled again under the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Now then, you know, when you read that, you think about how many men today, when they were born, they were circumcised, you know. Somebody said, well, gee, I was circumcised. He said, he says, he says, for I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Well, hey, if you had been circumcised, you said, well, good grief, I'm a debtor to do the whole law. No, you didn't have anything to do with that. You know, if you were circumcised in your flesh as a baby, there ain't nothing wrong with that. It doesn't, you have freedom. You're free, and you're free from bondage. If you were circumcised, no big deal. If you wasn't circumcised, no big deal. It doesn't mean nothing today as a Christian. Absolutely nothing. So don't get under that bondage. You know, when I begin to read these sounds, oh, good grief. You know, I didn't understand. You know, and I didn't have the, I didn't t- sit down and really study these things out in detail. I thought, Lord, what is this? Well, the devil was trying to put me under bondage. Whereas Paul's telling me, I got freedom in Christ. I have freedom. You know, I have freedom to do anything I want to do as a Christian as long as it glorifies God. But if you were circumcised, it's not a big deal. But what he's trying to say here, if you are circumcised because the law used to say you've got to be circumcised, and now you do that for that, that he said you're a debtor to keep the whole law. If you say, well, I can't be a believer until I do that. That's just like if somebody says, you know, you're not saved unless you can speak in tongues. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Sure I have. I said, you're not really a born-again Christian if you're not, if you can't speak in tongues. Or they'll say, if you're not baptized in my church, you're not saved. You can't go to heaven unless you baptize in the Baptist church. Well, let me tell you, that's a lie. That's not true. You know, I've had people try to put me under every kind of bondage imaginable. Let me tell you, Jesus said to anyone that calls on my name, if you just call on my name, I will in no wise turn you away. Didn't he say that? Sure he did. Well, do we believe that? I hope so. When I called upon the name of Jesus in faith, I was saved. If I don't call upon the name of Jesus in faith, I'm not saved. But if I call upon him in faith, I'm saved. Now then, who really knows who's saved? Only Jesus. He alone knows. The Scripture says in Acts 10.42 that I have come for you to preach the gospel. You preach the gospel. 
And he said, it has been ordained by the Father in heaven that I, Jesus Christ, will be the judge of both the lost and the saved. I'll be the judge. So you ain't got but one that you need to please. Jesus Christ. You know, if you please Jesus, then that's all that makes any difference. When you get home one day, if you have confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, He will know if you walked with Him. Or He'll know if you walked down an aisle in a church and said, I want Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and you really didn't mean it. You had no you just come down because your friend came down. Your friend, he got saved. And you said, well, gee, if he gets saved, I want to go down there too. Yeah, I want to do that too. But you didn't really do it in faith, but your friend did. Now, there's only one really knows the truth, and that's God. He knows. So, if you made Jesus Lord of your life, I will have to say that if you truly made Jesus Lord of your life, there should be some kind of fruit for the kingdom of God in your life. If you're the kind of guy you said, well, I'm going to go to church and I get saved, or you go with this real wonderful, beautiful woman that you think is going to be the most wonderful thing in your life, and she said, well, I, I, I ain't going to go with you unless you go to church with me. And he says, well, okay, if i got to go to church to get her, I'll go to church to get her. So he goes to church, and then once he gets her, once he marries her, then she said, okay, honey, it's Sunday. We're ready to go to church. Well, he said, okay, I'll go with you this Sunday. And then next Sunday, they've been married two weeks now. And he said, well, you know, I mean, the, uh, I went with you last Sunday, but I need to go fishing today. You go ahead and go to church. I'll go, I'm going to go fishing such a pretty day. And he gets further and further and further and further away from God. But he's now got what he wanted. He got that woman, and he wanted this beautiful woman to be his wife. And she was not going to make him her husband unless he went to church with her. And so he went to church with her until he married her. Now that when the covenant's been signed and sealed, he thinks, I've got her now. She's mine. I can do what I want to do. And so I don't want to go to church. Let me tell you, I wouldn't want to be this guy when he stands before God someday at the judgment when he dies. Would you? No, because I got a feeling he didn't never know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. If you really know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then Christ comes inside of you and the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and now then the Spirit will be convicting you of things that are wrong and you should want to be in your Father's house on a regular basis. You should want to be producing fruit for the kingdom of God. The desire of your heart should be to walk in holiness, to walk in obedience to God's Word, to love that woman with all of your heart that God gave you to be the kind of man that you want to be, that God wants you to be, and that should be the burning desire of your heart to make your mate happy. That should be the burning desire. And that will be the freedom that both of you have in Christ. So then instead of having to try to persuade your mate on Sunday, would you go to church with me this Sunday, honey? It should be a normal thing. We get up on Sunday morning, no questions asked. We get up, fix us breakfast, and we worship the Lord, praise Him. We get in the car, and we go to church together. Nobody has to say, are we going to go to church today? It's an automatic thing in my house. Nobody ever had to ask what we're going to do on Sunday. My children, my wife, there was no questions. We knew what we were going to do on Sunday. We were going to be in God's house. Sunday morning, Bible study, worship service. If we had some special at church Sunday evening, we were going to be back again on Sunday night. 
And then on Wednesday night, it was a normal thing. We was at prayer meeting. We were there in the Baptist church. Every time, Tuesday night, when visitation came, we went. Unless I was out of town, and I did that some. But it was normal to be about God's business. I wanted to love and serve the King. But I had freedom in Christ. If Tuesday night I was out of town, I didn't sweat it. I could still worship Him and praise Him wherever I was. I knew that if I had to be out of town on a business trip, I, God wasn't going to hold me accountable for not being at Bible, that uh, visitation on Tuesday night. I knew He could forgive me for that. I had freedom to go if I wanted to or freedom not to go. And if I'm where I could go, I love to go. I love to go visit people in the name of Jesus. And boy, I have been in thousands of homes in my life, I'll tell you for sure, and talk to people about Jesus. But I love to do that. Yeah, I have freedom. But he says, if I feel like I've got to do something special, once I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, if I feel like I've got to be baptized before I'm saved, hey, baptism's not going to save you. It was faith that saved you. If you feel like Paul says circumcision, I'm not saved until I can be circumcised. Paul says, if you're doing that, he said, that's not going to work for you. He said, if you do it for that, then that you are a debtor to do or to keep the whole law. Has there ever been a human being ever lived on the face of the earth that could have kept the whole law? I ain't never met one other than Jesus. He done it. But there's none of the rest of us ever done it. In verse 4 it says, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. I used to read that and I think, God, what does it mean to fall from grace? Did I lose my salvation? I didn't understand this. It took me a long time to understand this. What does he mean when he says, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. I think, okay, wait a minute now. I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I'm walking in a love walk with God. I'm walking on grace. I like to use this example of walking down this little bitty tiny walkway. I'm walking in love. I'm walking in grace. I'm going to tell you, you cannot lie to God. I have a lot of people come up to me and say, I need to be prayed for. I say, you got all your sins repented of? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got my sins repented of. Are you going to church? Well, yeah, yeah, I'm going to church. You, you, you walking in love? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm walking in love. They don't have a clue what they're talking about. Don't have a clue. It's just like one night there was a man and a woman walked right up here. And as they were standing here, this man had a problem with his heart. And I said, sir, do you have all your sins repented of? He said, oh, yeah, yeah. I said, how is your, the spirit moved a woman. And I said, how's your love walk with this woman? I said, this woman beside you, your wife? Oh, yeah, yeah, she's my wife. I said, how's your love walk with her? He said, it's good. Okay. So I looked at her and I said, ma'am, how's your love walk with your husband? And immediately she started crying. What did that tell me? Let me tell you, one of these two is lying. One of these two is lying. 
You know, if I ask a woman, I say, how's your love walk with your husband? And she smiles, it's fantastic. Hey, I, that's a good sign, you know it? But if I say, how's your love walk with your husband? And she starts crying, that's not a good sign. There's something definitely wrong. Isn't that right? Something definitely wrong. So I said, sir, you're lying to me. You're lying to me. I said, you're not loving this woman. I said, you're not being obedient to God and you're not walking in love. You're not putting God first and you're not doing. You're not loving this woman like God told you to love her. I said, if you were loving her like Christ told you, willing to give your life for her, she would have not started crying when I asked her, how's your love walk with your husband? She didn't even answer. She just started crying. I said, I know your love walk with her is not good. He said, okay. Yes, I got a problem with her. I said, okay. He said, she did something and I don't like it. I said, well, you got to forgive her and love her. He said, no, I ain't going to forgive her. I ain't going to forgive her. I said, okay, let me explain to you. That's why you have the heart problem. That's why you got the pain in your chest because of your sin against your wife. I said, your wife, whatever she did, I said, you have got to forgive her. He said, no, I don't like what she did and I'm not going to forgive her. I said, sir. Do you know that if you don't forgive her, you're never going to get healed? And I said, do you know that if you don't forgive her and if you die, Jesus said in his word. Now, this is the king that's going to be your judge one day when you stand in front of him. He said, if you don't forgive all your brothers and sisters from your heart, I will not forgive you. Now, do you ever read that? You ever heard that anywhere? Now, wait a minute. If the king is not going to forgive you and you get to heaven one day and you say, hey, he says, who are you? And I said, oh, I'm Thurman Scribner. Oh, he said, you're that guy down there that had a grudge against your wife. Well, yeah. He said, in the outer darkness where there's weeping in. I said, but God, I'm washed in the blood. He said, that makes no difference. I told you if you didn't forgive your brother or sister from your heart, I would not forgive you. And if I don't forgive you, I guarantee you're not coming in my heaven until you're forgiven. He said, I don't believe that. I said, don't put him to the test, son. Don't put him to the test. I said, one day, you can hold that grudge against her all your life, and you can die prematurely. Because he said in his word that if you hold a grudge against someone, he will send a torturing, tormenting spirit to you to torment you until you can pay him every penny you owe him for your sins. And I said, there ain't no way you can live long enough to pay God for what you owe him. He said, I'm washed in the blood. I'm forgiven. And I said, not unless you forgive her. He said, I ain't going to forgive her. I said, then you ain't going to get healed. And I said, if you die, you're going to hell. He said, I don't believe that at all. So I said, let's go. And they walked out that door just like that. Now, one day, if that man never comes to conviction by the Holy Ghost and he dies and he opens his eyes in hell, he's going to say, God, what am I doing in this place? You know what God's going to tell him? He'll remember the day, the second, the minute, and the second that he was standing right here. And he said, I sent one of my sons to tell you the truth of my word, and you didn't believe it. He said, he was very bold with you and told you exactly what I said in my word. He said, you have no excuse. But God, I didn't believe it. If you'll give me another chance. There ain't going to be no more chances, is there? You know, it's kind of like in, in Luke 16 when Lazarus and the rich man both died. 
You know, it says the Lazarus died and the angels of God came and got him and carried him into Father Abraham's bosom in paradise. But it said the rich man died and he opened his eyes in Gehenna in the flames of torment. The rich man looked across the great gulf. At that time, paradise was in the earth, the same place Gehenna was, or the place of the dead. But right now, the place of the living is in heaven. It's not down there no more, but it was at this point until Jesus came and He went to heaven. He was the first one that went back. But until that time, they were all down here in the center of the earth. But God had an extremely good air conditioning system, and He air conditioned one side of it. One side was nice and cool, and the other side was extremely raging hot. Now, he can do anything. You know, God can do anything. I mean, you know, you can take this world out here, and you look how many tons of air conditioning it takes to cool this little bitty room, and it can be 70 or 80 to 90 degrees outside. I mean, I was working out one day in the fall, and it was about 80 degrees. We all had short sleeve shirts on. Some of us stripped down to our T-shirts working and everything. And all of a sudden, the wind blew in. And within two hours, it was about 40 degrees. I mean, if God can air condition the whole country that quick, He's got an air conditioning system, doesn't He, brother? He can do awesome things. I've seen Him do that. But that man, he said, Lord, he said, let Lazarus. He could see Him over there in comfort. He said, let Lazarus go over and touch his finger in that cool water and come put it on my tongue. I'm in agony in this flame. He said, no, there's a great gust separates the two of you and you cannot come together. He said, Lord, if he can't come over here and cool my tongue, then at least let him go back and tell my five brothers. I've got five brothers and they're all headed to the same place. They believe just like I do. He said, no, he cannot go back. He said, but Lord... He said, if someone returns from the dead and tells them, they will believe. He said, no, they got Moses and the prophets. They got the law. Let them believe that. He said, no, no. They, did, they, they read it just like I did, but they won't believe it just like I didn't believe it. But if one will return from the dead, they will believe. And he said, no, there's going to be one that's going to return from the dead. And the best documented event that's ever happened in history. It was the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And he said, many still, even after this thing, they're not going to believe. So I said, no, I will not send him back. Now, can you imagine the devastation that man's thinking? Oh, God, if I'd only believe what was written in that book, I wouldn't be in this place. Just think, thousands of years ago when that man died and he went to that place, guess where he's still at today? Guess where he's going to be 10,000 years from now? I can't even comprehend that. Can you? I can't even grasp the fact of reaching over and touching a hot tea kettle or something with my finger. I immediately recall and to think about spending eternity in a place of flaming torment where I'm never going to be able to get out of that. I, I, I can't even grasp that. But there's a lot of people even in the church today, that say they're saved. But if they are, it's totally between them and God because so many people in the church today absolutely do not, or that say they're Christians, they don't go to church except when they want to go to church. Just like I laid hands on a man the other day. Now, God in His infinite mercy, I was in a restaurant and bar 
the other night. We walked through the bar area to get to a, the restaurant park to have dinner. And we run into somebody we knew in there. Well, we ran into this guy. My wife, we were talking, and he is a world-class sportsman. And he says, my wife knew him, and I knew him, and how are you doing? He said, well, I'm not doing very good. He said, I injured my arm. I got a rotor cuff that's knocked out. And my wife told me, said, honey, pray for him. said, he's a world-class um, uh, sportsman. He's won many awards and everything else. I said, do you go to church? He said, oh, well, I go to church on Christmas and Easter sometimes. Now, whose face going to get him healed? It ain't going to be his, is it? So I said, okay. Cheryl Prompt said, honey, pray for him. Jesus will heal him if you'll pray for him. I said, okay. I reached up and said, can I pray for you, brother? He said, oh, yeah. Okay, go ahead. So I laid my hands on him and asked the Father to be merciful to him, to forgive his sins and to heal him. And a month or two later, we was out at that same restaurant. We walked through that bar area to go back to the restaurant. And when we walked through, he was in there sitting there drinking a beer. And he jumped up and come home and said, praise God, my arm's healed. I walked over and I sat down. And of course, Ty and I got to talking about that. And he said, you know how many people's in church we pray for and we do everything and they're in church every Sunday and God don't heal them and they die. And then we take a guy like him that won't ever come to church and you pray one simple little prayer standing by the bar and God heals him. He said, I don't understand him, do you? I said, no, Ty, I don't understand God. I just pray for him and let him be God. See, isn't that amazing? I don't know what he's going to do with that. But guess who is the healer? <laughs> the king. It's certainly not me. That's why when you say, well, I ain't going to pray for you because you just go to church on Christmas and Easter because God ain't going to heal you no way. You don't know what God's going to do when you pray for somebody. You don't know what his plans are for that guy. Five or ten years down the road, that guy may be a preacher. You have no idea. You know, you don't know. You know, so all we do is remember that we have absolute freedom in Christ to pray for anybody, anywhere, anytime we want to, and believe that our God will do these wonderful things for them. Now, if you don't believe you won't do nothing, then you, you have no problem. He ain't going to do nothing, so you might as well just stay at home. You know, but if you believe He will do these wonderful things, do something in faith. You know, you know when I prayed for Him, I said, you know, I guarantee you Jesus will heal you. We walked off Cheryl and said, boy, you sure were bold. I said, well, honey, he said, i got to believe with no doubt in my heart or he ain't going to do this. So what am I going to tell him? Maybe he'll heal him. I said, i got to tell him I guarantee he will. <laughs> so whose faith was it that healed that guy? It was mine. You know, it was mine. You know, but who knows what God will do with that? But anyway, I have complete freedom in Christ. And he says, if I do anything else, I have fallen from grace. He says, for we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. How do we do everything? By faith. We walk in faith. We stand in freedom to love God, to serve Him, to not get in any kind of bondage. I'm not going to let anything become my, a bondage to me. You know, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to get set up. I'm not going to start doing anything that puts me in bondage or that i got to do anything a certain way. 
If I want to get, if I want to sleep in the morning till ten o'clock and then get up and worship and praise God, if I want to stay up like I did last night, I stayed up and read the Word and studied the Word till nearly two o'clock this morning, and then I went in and went to bed. You know, this morning at about well seven thirty when Cheryl came to bed, I woke up and then about nine o'clock I got up and. I thought, I've got some things I want to do. I got up worshiping the Lord, praising the Lord. I thought, now I've got to go to, um, we've got to, go to the post office, get all those, I got boxes and boxes of stuff going all over the world. In fact, Jenny and Dave came to me last night, and she went to Dave first. said, Dave, what do I do with this? This order going to Saudi Arabia costs $26 just to mail it. She said, he said, go ask Thurman. So she came in and knocked on my door and said, Pastor, what do I do with this order? I said, what do you mean? Something wrong with it? She said, no, this is from Saudi Arabia. And these few little CDs in here that they ordered, it's going to cost $26 just to mail them. I said, mail them. God's got plenty of money. <laughs> mail them. You know? I mean, who's paying the bills? God is, you know? And just think what He might do with four, five, or six CDs and DVDs in Saudi Arabia. Who knows what He can do with them? All i got to say, we trust the King. You know? So it costs $126 to send the things over there. We send them. I mean, our postage bill is so astronomical now, I don't worry about another $26. You know? I mean, I would have never dreamed, you know, that a few years ago that my postage bill would be three times what my monthly salary was. Just my postage bill. You know, I was an engineer working with a pretty good salary, but I had no idea the day would come when I would be buying that much postage. You know? Amazing. You know, amazing. I would never, never would have ever dreamed I'd come to the point in my life where I had to have at least $50,000 a month to keep going. Never would I ever dream that. that. I mean, I never lived in a place like that. You know, never. You know, but I'm living there now. If I don't have $50,000 a month to come into this ministry... I can't keep going. I can't pay all the salaries. I can't buy all the CDs and DVDs. And I can't keep the place going. But guess what? The money's always there. Where does it come from? All over the world. I don't never ask nobody for money, but the money is always there to pay the bills. It doesn't matter how you can have that much money come in and don't ask nobody for nothing. But God is God. He moves on people's hearts everywhere and sends money. It's just amazing. Now then, I'm going to be just exactly like Smith Wigglesworth was right there. He said, God, as long as you keep me in at least two nice-looking suits and two pairs of shoes, I'll keep serving you. You know, he said, when you get to where you can't provide me with at least two suits so I can wear one while I'm having one clean, you know, and two pairs of shoes, then I'll go back to plumbing. But God met his needs too. He used Smith Wigglesworth in a mighty way. One of the greatest men of God I've ever read about. But if we do anything to get out of this love walk, anything, we fall from grace. Now then, when you fall from grace, you fall back under the law. And that's the devastating part. You know, you remember over there in the book of James where we were reading the other day where the Lord says if a rich man comes in and a poor man comes in, and you come over to the rich man and say, oh, my goodness gracious, here's a nice chair. Yes, take my hand and sit down. Let me get you a nice chair right here. And then a poor man comes in. You say, oh, you go back there in the back and sit underneath the shelves back there in the back. We don't have room for you up here. 
Now see, if we do that to people, the Word of God says, you're guilty of sin. You're guilty of sin. And he said, you're guilty of breaking the law. And he goes so far as to say, you're guilty of murder and adultery. Can you imagine he showed a little favoritism between two people? And you're guilty of breaking the law, which means you're guilty of murder and you're guilty of adultery. And under the law, the spiritual law of God, praise the Lord, there's those girls. Since you're under the law now and you're guilty of breaking the law, and since the demons are the spiritual authorities that enforce the law, guess who's going to attack you when you open the doors to your city? The demons are going to come flooding in. And you might even, tear, if you're guilty of, of breaking all of the law, you may knock a whole section of your wall out just like a bomb had blow, blowed up. See, that's the case when somebody says, comes up to me and I say, are you walking in sin? Oh, no, no. I've got every sin repented of. And then your son comes up and I said, tell me about your daddy. He said he's walking in love. He said, dad's got a grudge against everybody in town. <laughs> Somebody's lying to me, aren't they? Now, guess who knows the difference? God does. You want to know why I couldn't get Daddy healed? Because you couldn't fool God either. God knew that Daddy was walking in sin. He knew he had unforgiveness. He knew his heart. And that's why he didn't heal him. But yet, Daddy says he's okay. No, Daddy does not know what sin is. He does not know what walking in love is. Or mother, or whichever one you may be. But you've got to make sure that you're walking in love so you can walk in this grace. If you don't walk in grace, it's going to bring sickness and disease to your house. It's going to bring it. You know, It'll make you sick. It'll affect you. It'll kill you. And you cannot lie to God. He knows your heart. He knows everything about you. He knows if you're telling the truth. Now then, if you're walking in the God kind of love and you're totally trusting faith, totally trusting faith, you receive Jesus by faith. You're walking in faith. You're totally walking in love. Then you're walking on this straight and narrow path. And it's not very wide either. In fact, after Cheryl and I got married, she made a statement to me one day after she had walked with me for a few weeks or maybe a two or three months, whatever. She said, Honey, you walk on a razor blade. I told her, I, said, I told you the path very narrow. It's not quite that narrow. But she said, I'm going to walk with my feet on top of your feet. I said, Okay. See, she wants to walk there. She loves my faith walk. When she saw where I walked in faith and what God would do, in fact, it's, it's wonderful to see God do the great things He does in faith. You know, when He says, whatever you say with your mouth, if you believe it with your heart, you can have it. Like the story about the milk, you know, when we was out of town. You know, when I came back and told her not to throw away the milk because we hadn't put God to the test, the milk was good. She had trouble with that. It's three weeks old. She's a normal woman. You know, any woman that knows milk is three weeks past the date knows it's bad, Right? I mean, you, some of us guys may not know that, but most of us do. But every woman knows that, you know. But the milk wasn't good. I spoke to the milk and commanded it to be good. And then in faith, like that family, we were up in the Northeast, uh, and this couple was trying their best to learn what faith was. 
I'm trying to explain to them what faith is. And we sat down to dinner that day. We'd taught at their church, and they took us home with them and wanted to feed us dinner. So we went home with them that afternoon. And we're sitting there, and after the evening meal, the woman said, would you all like a cup of hot tea? And we both said yes. So she set two cups there and poured out the same tea kettle, the hot water. And then she poured, uh, got two tea bags and put one in each one. And then she said, would you all like honey? We said yes. She poured a spoonful of honey out of the same container. wasn't separate packages. Out of the same container. Then she said, would you like some half and half? And we said yes. So she went and got the half and Cheryl was stirring up her tea. And she had just taken the bag out. And the lady poured it in Cheryl's cup and immediately clapped I mean, she said, That's, that, that heaven has, it's no good. I said, I can't believe this. I just bought it yesterday at the store. She looked and she said, I can't believe this. I said, no, this happened to prove to you what a demonstration of faith can do. I said, I said what do you mean? I said, I'm going to use Mark 11:23, and I'm going to say with my mouth that when you pour that half and half in my cup, it'll be smooth and perfectly blended. In the name of Jesus. I mean, everybody, the children, everybody was looking on. I said, I guarantee you, when you pour that same half and half of my cup, and I'm stirring up my tea, it'll be just as perfectly smooth and blended as you've ever saw. They was all watching with great anticipation. And she poured it in. And it was perfect. Smooth as it could be. I said, now, this is what faith is. This is why God allowed this to happen. This is why He allowed Cheryl's tea to clabber. So I could say, you could see the same thing, same tea, same honey, same half and half, not different containers, but same thing. So you could see that if I speak it by faith from the Word of God, it will happen. And I said, that's what faith is. God knows my faith level. And so when I spoke and said, Now I guarantee you in the name of Jesus, Mark eleven twenty three will work for me and my cup of hot tea will be smooth and creamy when you pour that milk in it. And she did and it was just perfectly smooth and perfectly creamy. Now see, you have to have no doubt in your heart that that's going to work for you. You have to get over where the devil... The devil didn't even attack me on that one. He used to, every time, he would attack me and say, Oh, you fool. He's not going to do that for you. But see, I've got past that. I've got past that. I know God's Word works. So, you, as you begin to stand on His Word and learn what faith is and speak something in faith, you will see God show up to do great and awesome miracles for you. Another one of those great and awesome miracles here a few months ago, an older friend of mine, he was learning. He's been to this church a few times. He lives a long ways off, about a three-hour drive, but he would come every month or so, and he loved our teaching. He loved what I taught. He was a man of God, raised up in a church of Christ. He loved God with all his heart, but he had never heard things like this taught in his church. So he'd come up here every once in a while, and he got my CDs and DVDs. He'd listen to them or my tapes. And then one day, he was trying his best to walk in faith. He was trying, but it takes time to get this in your spirit. Well, he called me one day and said, Thurman, I'm in the hospital. 
and I've had pneumonia, double pneumonia, and I want you to come down and pray for me. What's well, a three-hour drive down there? He comes to church about once a month. But what do I, guess what I do? I get in my car and I drive down there. I get down there and I walk into the hospital room and they're just taking him out of ICU. The nurse, I was standing there talking to him, and the nurse walks up and checks his blood pressure. And she says, sir, your blood pressure is extremely high. He said, what is it? She said, the low number is 135. And I said, well, ma'am, what's it supposed to be? She said, in the lower 70s. I said, okay. I said, young lady, are you a Christian? Well, yes. I said, do you go to church? Yes. I said, you ever seen God do a miracle? She laughed and said, no. I said, what a shame. I said, how would you like to see him do one? She said, what are you talking about? I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, I speak to his blood pressure and I commend it to be about 70. I said, thank you, Father. You said in Mark eleven twenty three, whatever I say with my mouth, if I believe it in my heart, I can have it. So I said, now check it. His blood pressure will be about 70. She laughed and started to walk off. And the man says, ma'am, please, will you check it again? She said, I just checked it. It was 135. It's not going to change in two minutes. He said, please. I said, ma'am, I thought you said you never saw a miracle. She said, I haven't. I said, if you'll check his blood pressure, you will. Okay, she said, I'll check it. So she put it back on, kind of grumbling, wrapped the thing around, pumped it up, and it started coming down, and it stopped at 72. Tears immediately began to flood out of her eyes. I said, you can't never say you have never seen God do a miracle. You just saw Him do one. I said, you know, as a nurse... It's impossible in the natural for blood pressure to come from 135 on the low side to 72 in two or three minutes with any kind of medication. She said, there's nothing can do that. I said, but God did it. And he said he would do it for us in Mark 11:23. Now, as Christians, what kind of freedom do we have? Are we under bondage? We're not supposed to be. We're supposed to be free. To use the Word of God to do great and mighty things in the name of our King. And He will do these things for you if you will walk that faith walk and that walk of love. Now then, what if you sin? What if you step off that path and fall? Immediately repent. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. Crawl back up on that pathway right now. Don't wait for them beasts down there to bite you. Or them serpents down there, they'll get you. You get out there and walk around with them a little while. Now, if you fall off that path and only hit with one leg or only get halfway down like Peter did, when Peter sinned with his fear and he started sinking, did he wait till he went completely under before he cried? No. The minute he saw he was falling, he said, Lord, save me. He was smart. Jesus come over, reached over and put him right back up on that path. But he did look him in the eye and rebuke him and said, Peter, you of little faith, why did you doubt my word? Has any of the rest of us ever done that? Yes, we have. So we've all fell short there. But if we stay on this pathway, if we don't fall from grace when we sin, and we fall completely off the path and say, well, I guess it won't hurt me to walk out here amongst these snakes for a little while. You know, 
You're going to step on one of them boogers, aren't you? When you step on one of them, he's going to bite you. And when he does, you're going to have sickness and disease come upon you. And that's why so many of us that are in the church have sickness and disease. Because when we sin, like this man the other night I was telling you about that had the grudge against his wife and had the heart problem. He would not forgive her. If he hasn't forgiven her, he may be dead by now. You know it? Isn't that amazing? That we can die when we're in sin? But it says in the Word, sin brings forth death. So you get rid of that sin. You walk in obedience to His Word. And though, He said, For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ, for in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. So what is it that counts for you and me? What is important? Faith that works by what? Love. So what if you don't walk into God's kind of love? You're in trouble, aren't you? If you don't walk in that God kind of love, you can't walk this little narrow pathway. And a lot of people don't walk that pathway. Oh, they come to church and they put on a good show at church. You know, you're really a nice guy at church, but you get out and get in your car and start home and you read your wife the riot act on the way home. Don't you drag me back up at that church no more. I ain't going back up and listen to that preacher no more. Hey, you got a real problem. You know, you're not going to be able to walk in a place where God wants you to walk, I can assure you. You know, if the Word, which is so clear, is written and tells us what to do, He says, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith only which worketh by love. So if you and I don't walk in the God kind of love, you cannot walk in faith that produces results. You've got to walk in love. How many of you would like to walk in faith? Man, I want to walk in faith. I love walking in faith. I love when I speak in faith, Jesus shows up. Don't you? Don't you like to see God do great things when you speak in His name? But He only does it if you walk in love. You walk in the God kind of love, He will show up. He says in verse 7, You did run well, who did hinder you, that you should not obey the truth. You did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Now then, if these people didn't do it, if they didn't obey the truth, they didn't walk in a God kind of love, if they didn't walk in faith, and when you go back and read the first part of Galatians 1 up through where we are here now in 5, you'll find out that many of these people had completely turned their back on faith. And they had come back under the law believing you had to do something to be saved. You had to do something. Why is it that we have such a big problem believing that what Jesus did on the cross is good enough to save us and we don't have to add anything to it? 
But I believe what Jesus done on the cross is sufficient to save me. I don't believe there's nothing I can do that can add to what He done. Do you? No, I don't believe there's anything that I can do that will add to what Jesus did on the cross. But if these people didn't obey the truth, then evidently there's a lot of us that's not going to obey the truth. This persuasion cometh not of him that calls you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. You get one or two people in church that start teaching the wrong thing. Guess what can happen to that whole church? I mean, isn't it amazing that you can get a person in a church that start teaching a little bit of the wrong thing? And why is it so easy for us to believe the wrong thing instead of the truth? But you know, I was raised in a church that had been deceived by the enemy. One thing we did have locked in, we did know how to win souls for Christ. And that's the most important thing. But when it comes to teaching people about healing and deliverance of demons, we had been totally deceived by the enemy. I never saw anything, never saw a demonstration of the Spirit's power in the church I was raised up in, I never saw a demon cast out. I saw a few demons come to light. You know, I didn't understand who they were, but I saw a few of them happen. In fact, I remember Jerry King, which was the pastor of one of you know, Some of you may know Brother Jerry. He was the pastor of one of the biggest Pentecostal churches in Fort Worth. And he used to say, if you want to know who was the best Pentecostal preacher in Fort Worth, all you had to do is ask me. I'd tell you I was. <laughs> I heard him say that. Several times, so he's not ashamed of it. He, he now he knows that's not true, of course. But he said that I remember when James Robinson got set free. We had him on our television show at least two or three times. I heard him say one night. He said when James Robinson got set free and they cast demons out of James Robinson, and James called all of us and wrote us letters and said, "I want to apologize publicly. I want to have a meeting and I want to invite all of you to a dinner." I want you to come. I want to apologize publicly. He said, when James, I went to that meeting. And I thought, you know, I'm going to go to that meeting and I'm going to see what this man has to say because he has really been hard on us Pentecostal preachers. So he said, I went to that meeting and James explained how he got set free from demons. A Baptist preacher. Good one. He spoke to thousands of people, but he had a problem with lust when he was a younger man. He couldn't get set free of it. And there was a a man that was a carpet cleaner that cast demons out of him. When James Robinson asked Milton Green, he said, Milton, do you think I have demons? And here's one of the most profound Baptist preachers preaching to thousands every day. Here's a little carpet cleaner down in East Texas. And he said, James, I've cast demons out of murderers. I've cast demons out of rapists. I've cast demons out of drug addicts. But I ain't never seen a man who's got more demons than you have. That didn't exactly set too well with James. So he said, he cast all them demons out of me that day and said it was the craziest thing I'd ever seen in my life. I couldn't believe what he was doing was working. But said, when I walked out of that room that day, I was a different man. I was free from demons. He said, I was free. He said, my life was totally changed. So 
He said, I didn't have that lust problem no more. I didn't have it no more. It was gone. So I wanted to share with people that I've been doing what I've been doing because of demonic activity in my life. So he said, I call all these preachers together and I tell them all the story about what happened. And he said, I ask them all to stand with me and pray with me. And Jerry King said, I stood and said, I was standing there with a seat in front of me. I was leaning on the front of it. And I said, I said, John, you know, that's probably what's wrong with my church. There's probably a few people in my church that have demons too. They had a big Pentecostal church. He said, the Lord spoke to me in a voice as audible as I ever heard in my life and said, Jerry, the problem in your church is you. He said, I fell over that chair on my face and said, God, if I'm the problem, then cleanse me and purge me like you did, James Robertson, and God did. But no preacher, I don't care whether it's a Baptist, a Methodist, a Pentecostal, or nothing else, if you've got a big church with lots of people, nobody wants to hear God say, you're the problem in your church. We always want to put the blame on somebody else that surely can't be me. But it usually is. And that was the case. But Jerry King got set free. And since then, he has become one of the most awesome teachers of the Word of God I've ever seen. One of the humblest men I've seen around. He's great. After he got set free, he said, I went and bought me three new Bibles and I started reading them from the beginning, marking and underlining things. And then I compared the three as to what God had showed me and said it totally set me free. He said, I saw things and recognized things I had never seen before. But he just locked himself up with the Word of God and read all three Bibles in their entirety, slowly and prayerfully, and underlined things that God told him to underline or that he quickened his spirit. And he said it totally, totally changed his life. He's a great man of God today, being used greatly and mightily for the kingdom of God. So, if a great Pentecostal preacher can have demons, guess who can have demons? Anybody can have them beasts. Anybody can have them. And that's what our problem is, is evil spirits. And we need to learn how to cleanse and purify ourselves and walk in this God kind of love so we can walk on this elevated platform of love and faith. So these demons cannot attack us. Then he says... After a little leaven leavens the whole lump, all it takes is just a little bit of sin in the church. And man, first thing you know, you've got all kinds of problems. But he says, I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would they that were ever cut off which troubleth you. Paul is asking the Lord, he's saying there that if I'm preaching circumcision is required, then why are they persecuting me? Why are they persecuting me? He said, I'm not preaching that. I'm preaching you have freedom. I'm telling you, you have freedom in Christ. And he said, I would that they were even cut off, which troubleth you. Now, let me tell you, when you've got people in your church that's troubling you, that's giving you a hard time, that's not doing what God's saying, 
You need to go to those people and you need to take one or two with you and you need to sit down with them and tell them, hey, you're starting up a problem in my church. You need to teach the truth or you need to stop doing what you're doing. And if they refuse to do that, what are you, what, what Paul says to do? Cut them off. Cut them off. If you've got somebody who's coming to your church that's giving you all kinds of problems, that's teaching something that's contrary to the Word of God, I have no problem of going to you, sit down with you and say, hey, what you're doing is not right. And if you say, well, I totally disagree with you, then I have no problem saying that if two or three of the elders that are in my church agree with me and say, but what Thurman's teaching is the truth, and he said, but I don't believe that and I'm going to teach this, then I have no problem saying, cut off my church. I don't want you back here. Leave. I don't want you here. I said, you would do that? Absolutely. Why would I do that? What will a little leaven do in your church? It will leaven the whole bunch. And one or two people, man or woman, can tear down in your church if they're there by the devil. They can tear down more in a shorter period of time than you can ever build it back. Isn't that amazing how it works like that? But you know, I think about, of course, the examples of my grandchildren. The other day I walked into the house and I have a little granddaughter that's only just a little over a year old. She's walking good and I have a grandson that's about two and a half years old. And he saw me walk in the house and he hollered, Granddaddy! And he started to run toward me. And as he ran by his little sister, she reached over to the vacuum cleaner, pulled off one of the little uh, uh, tubes that, and just hit him like a baseball bat. Bam! Right across the head. He went to crying. You don't have to teach him how to be mean, do you? You don't have to teach kids how to be mean, do you? No. They know how to be mean. You've got to teach them how to love, don't you? Who would ever dream that a sweet little granddaughter could reach over and pick up a club off a vaccine and hit her little brother as he walks by? I mean, I watched it happen. Now, maybe none of y'all's grandkids or your own kids do those kind of things, but i got a feeling that they do. You don't have to teach your children how to be mean to each other. You don't have to teach them how to take things away from the other one. You've got to teach them how to share. You've got to teach them how to love. Don't you? Guarantee. And some of us old folks have to still be taught. It's a never-ending chore, isn't it, young lady? Yes, it is. You've got to teach people how to walk into God kind of love. Because self I want this for me, and I'm not going to share it with you. I mean, I've seen some adults that are like that. You ever see these signs on the back of a guy's car? He's driving down the road. He said, don't touch my car. This car protected by Smith and Wesson. You ever seen that? He really knows how to walk in love, don't he? Or like the guy that puts the sign on the back of his car, if you love Jesus, honk. You ever seen one of those? I was down in Dallas here a while back. I pulled up at a red light, and there's a guy had a sign right on the back of his trunk of his car. He said, if you love Jesus, honk. I said, honk, honk. And the light stayed there, and he looked back, and I, when he looked back, I said, honk, honk. After I did it the third time, he got out of the car, walked back, and said, is there something wrong with you? I, I said, sir. 
I said, I'm sorry. You got a sign on the back of your car said, if you love Jesus, honk. I said, I thought you loved Jesus. He looked at that sign and said, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And he turned and walked back in his car and got in. <laughs> he really didn't mean what he said, did he? He was still led by the flesh. See? Now, if he had remembered that sign he put on the back of his car, when I honked, he'd have and said, praise God, honk, 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 you know? But he let the flesh take I didn't know what he was going to do, man. When he honk, I thought when he was waving, you know, he was, re- you know, he was reminded. I just honked again, honk, honk. But after the third time, man, he opened that door and he got out. He wasn't happy looking critter when he come back there. He come back. Is there something wrong with you? And that's what I. Whoa! <laughs> you find out if we mean what we say by our sides, right? Oh goodness! I thought that was a wow. <laughs> But I'll tell you, the Holy Spirit really got him. <laughs> really? Oh, I'm so sorry. He said he turned went right back on that guard. I didn't honk no more either, though. <laughs> I thought how funny that was. I mean, I mean, after all, you got a sign that says, if you love Jesus, honk. Well, I, I love Jesus. <laughs> so I was honking. Oh, goodness. Oh. In verse 13 says, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. We've been called unto what? Liberty. Freedom. As children of God. Only use not the liberty for an occasion to the flesh. But by love, serve one another. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? By love, serve one another. We are called to freedom or liberty as Christians. I have total, complete freedom in Christ. I can do anything I want to do. Anything that I want to do, as long as it doesn't infringe on somebody else's rights or privileges. Me, I am free. I can do what I want to do. Anything that doesn't offend or hurt someone else, I have the freedom to do it. To walk in the God kind of love. And he says, but I'm to not to use this as an occasion to the flesh. Now, if I use my freedom to do something that would hurt someone else, then I'm not doing it in love. Is that right? It would be real easy to say, well, I have freedom in Christ. I'm going to go do this. And somebody says, well, you know, I'd rather you do this. I'd rather you, in fact, I'll just use an example here. You're going to go out of town for the weekend. You have freedom as a Christian to go out of town for the weekend. But the Lord speaks to you and says, stay home with your husband. Now, what are you going to do? You have freedom to go, don't you? Or, if the Lord speaks to you and tells you to stay home with your husband, then what do you think would be the best to do? Stay home with your husband. Because he knows something that you don't know. And if you do that, will he reward you for being obedient to what he tells you? Yes, he will. You might say, well, I have freedom to go do this. But see, you were not doing what you were doing in love. Now then, if your husband does not mind at all, and God doesn't tell you not to do that, 
and you want to do that, then you can go do that. You have freedom. But if God tells you not to do that, then you don't have the freedom to do that. You're supposed to do it God's way. Just like when God tells a man, and of course, if He would speak to more of us men audibly, it would carry a lot more weight. But He does speak to us out of His Word all the time when He says, Husbands, love your wives. Don't just love them. You're to love them as I love the church and I gave my life for the church. So men, you are husbands. You are to love your wife like that. You're to love her, being willing to give your life for your wife. So when your wife says, honey, would you help me make the bed? No, that's not my job. You take care of it. That wasn't exactly done in love, was it? Absolutely not. Now, if you love your wife and you loved her like Christ loved the church, if she says, will you help me make the bed? You'll say, sure, honey, no problem. I'll help you make the bed. Well, that's not a manly thing to do. Oh, yeah, it is. You know, there's no such thing as manly and womanly things. All things. I mean, I don't care what it is. I can wash dishes. I can cook. I can work on the car. You know, I can go out and get dirty working on the truck. I can do anything. But I had much rather me go out and get dirty working on a truck, handling all that heavy stuff, and let my wife do the cooking and washing and cleaning and stuff in the house because I don't think it's near as hard on her as it would be for her to be out there working on the car. I think that's my job because God give me a strong body and healthy hands, and I'm a lot stronger than my wife, and I believe it's my job to do the heavy work. If I'm in the house and she said, I need to turn the mattress over, Hey, that is a manly thing to do because mattresses are pretty heavy. Some women do it, you know. But it's a whole lot better if the man gets in there and helps his wife do the heavy things. Now, if you love that girl, you'll help. You'll do this and you'll do it in love. It should not be a problem to help your wife do things because if God told you to love that woman like He loved the church, then what should be your limitations in loving your wife? There should be none. You should be able to, willing to help her do anything. Anything. <clears throat> For all the law. How much of the law? All the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that didn't say anything about loving God there. All the law is fulfilled in this. The law is made for us person to person. We're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all our mind and all our strength. That's just normal. We're supposed to love Him first. And then if you love Him first, then you can meet this second requirement. Love your neighbor as yourself. But did you know I've learned one thing lately ministering to people in the last year especially? There is a lot of people that do not love themselves. I was amazed at the number of people that I run into that does not love themselves. And every one of those people are sick or afflicted or have a problem because they're sinning against God. When you don't love yourself, somebody says, well, you know, some of those beautiful women that we minister to in Germany. I said, do you love yourself? Well, who could love me? 
said, wow, what do you mean who could love you? You're a beautiful lady. Well, if I had a little chin tuck, I got a little bit too much here, or if I had a little tummy tuck or something, then I might be able to love myself. I said, you need to get over it, girl. I mean, you need to be happy just like you are, you know. But we saw, so, Cheryl and I saw so many women that were afflicted and beat up when we were in Germany, and every one of them that had a problem didn't love themselves. So when we came back, when we started seeing people, especially women, I have a few men, but not near as many men as we do women, that if they have a problem, you ask them, do they love themselves? And sometimes they'll say, nah, well, you know, who knows? Well, when they say that, you know they don't love themselves. You know, if a woman loves herself, when you say, do you love yourself? She'll say, well, sure I do. Sure I do. Now, see, God says in His Word, you are to love your neighbor as yourself. If you don't love yourself, then you're sinning against God. And it'll bring, eventually, some kind of devastation, demons, into your life. It'll open the door, and you'll bring some kind of sickness and disease into your, your life. But if the, all the law is fulfilled in this, that if you love your neighbor as yourself, he says, but if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. Just think, if we're snapping at each other, biting at each other, you're fussing at your mate or your children, or anybody else, he says, take heed. You will be consumed one of another. God's way, the God kind of love, works a whole lot better than the world's way. This I say then, in verse 16, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Let's see what these are before we quit this evening. Verse 17 how do we know if we're walking in the Spirit or we're walking in the flesh? Well, he tells us very clearly, verse 17 and on. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would want to do. But if you be led of the Spirit, if you are led of the Spirit, you are not under law. If you're led of the Spirit. If you're a Christian, you can be either way. You can be under the law or not under the law. If you're led of the Spirit, if you're led of the Spirit, then you're not under the law. If the Spirit is leading you, then you're going to walk into God kind of love. It says, but if you're led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are these. He's talking to Christians here. Now, the works of the flesh are, are these, are made known or manifest. Which are these? Adultery. We just start down the list. Now, if you're living as a Christian in any of these things, you're not walking, being led by the Spirit. If you meet any of the criteria of these next few things, you're being led by your flesh and you're not being led by the Spirit of God. So, you're under the law. And when you're under the law, you're guilty of these things and it gives demons legal right to attack you and torment you and make you sick and afflict you. Now, if the works of the flesh are made, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, and lasciviousness. Now, all those are just wicked things that's done in sexual encounters. 
I mean, everything, everything we read there, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, adultery, and fornication, are things that people that do during sexual relationships, homosexuals, perverts, you name it, all these things fall under these first four listed right here. Then he says, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of these which I tell you before, as I have also told you in the past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So if you are a Christian and you're being led of the flesh and you're living in any of those things, can you go to heaven? What did he say? He says you cannot, didn't he? So you're a professing Christian and you're getting drunk every week. You're, You're hung up on drunkenness and you get drunk every week. And you come in every Saturday night and repent and say, God, I'm sorry. And next week you're out there drinking again and you get drunk every week. You die in that sin? I don't believe you're going to heaven according to this book. Somebody said, well, I don't believe that. I believe I will because I'm washed in the blood. I'm going to tell you since I've read this book, I ain't going to put it to the test. I'll tell you for sure. How would you like to be a drunken person and you do that for 10 or 20 or 30 years, saying you're a Christian, you go to church every Sunday, but on Saturday night or Friday night you get wiped out and spend all your money drinking, and then you're in church on Sunday, and everybody thinks you're the best Christian, but when it comes time for you to die, God sends the death angel to take you into hell instead of to heaven. He said, you were drunken all the time. You drank. You would not listen to my spirit. Now then, I'm told you, as I've told you before, that those that was involved in drunkenness, they shall in no wise inherit the kingdom of God. Is that what he said? You think he means what he says? You think this is a book we'll be judged against when we get home someday? I know it is. This is the written word of the living God. And we will be judged according to this. But in verse 22, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Long-suffering, patience, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such things there is no law. Isn't that wonderful? You don't have to worry about the law. The law is only for lawbreakers. And when you walk by the Spirit, the Spirit will never break the law. He will feed you the truth and the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, and against such things there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. I think he's pretty clear, don't you? I don't know about you, but I'm not going to put God to the test. I'm going to walk into God's kind of love the best way I know how. I'm going to not going to get into any of those things up there since I know that if I'm led by the Spirit, 
I won't walk under the things of the flesh. And since the flesh, the works of the flesh are all those vain, terrible, awesome things, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness. And, of course, the thing about it is, I'm, I'm amazed at that article somebody gave me the other day about how many pastors or men and deacons in the church are hung up on pornography. I mean, I'd hate to die and knowing that I had been looking at that junk. You know, I don't even remember the title of the deal, but the other day when Dave and I stopped up the mailbox to get the mail, there was a big uh, thing, that big square in there, something about sexy. I forgot what, something about women, sexy, all that stuff, and about a half-dressed woman on the front of it. I told Dave, I said, well, first thing we do when we get to the house, we take the trash can and put this down in the bottom of the trash can. Because I don't want this. So you can't keep the devil from sending stuff to you and putting it before your eyes, but you can not look at it, right? When the devil throws something at you, you don't have to look at it. Is that right, brother? Sure. You don't have to look at this junk. You don't, I don't have to go to a movie you know, that's got all kinds of violence and taking God's name in vain and sex in and everything. I don't have to go to that thing. You know, and I don't. Now, Cheryl and I is going to go to a movie, or at least we're going to try to, uh, Thanksgiving Day. We're going to try to go to a double header on Thanksgiving Day. And the movie we're going to try to find is uh, uh, How to Fight the Fight of Faith or something like that, or The Walk of Faith. Fighting the Giants, that's what it was. Fighting the Giants. Anybody here seen that yet? Did you like it? Oh, you liked it? You liked it too? Okay. And the other one, what was it, honey? One Night with the King. You seen that too? Yes. Has anybody seen One Night with the King? You seen, did you like it? Oh, okay. Praise God. You saw it? Liked it too? Okay. Praise God. So we're going to try to see those two doubleheaders. Are we safe going to those movies? Pretty accurate, huh? Really good. We plan to go try to see that on Thanksgiving Day. We don't go to many movies. But whenever one comes out like these two, you know, and since you all being my Christian brothers and sisters, highly recommend them, obviously. Uh, we already had several other people tell us we highly recommend those two movies. And so we're going to try to catch those uh, on Thursday and, and see those. And that's what I'm going to do for my honey bunny on her birthday. She's turning... Fifty-nine. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Yeah, what is it like to be married to such a young woman, huh? Wow. Young woman, 59. She doesn't mind me telling you how old she is. She's 59, but she's really 19, see? So that's the way we should be, right? Praise the King. When we walk in love, we walk not by the flesh, but according to the Spirit. When we walk by the Spirit, we produce all these good things. When we walk by the flesh all the time, then that's the kind of people you chase all the time. Right? That's the kind of men you chase in your police car all the time. The guys that walk it that are led by the Spirit, you don't ever have to chase one of them down. They're not on that side. So praise God. This week when you go out, reread these Scriptures and try your best to observe them and do what they say and walk into God kind of love. Remembering as Christians, don't get in any kind of bondage. You're not in bondage to nothing. You have freedom and liberty in Christ. 
to do anything that doesn't hurt someone else. What if you're a man and you're married and you have a bondage to do something and it takes you away from your wife? Then you need to change that. You don't want to get in bondage to nothing that will take you away from your family. I almost let that happen to me. You know, uh, years ago when I got so involved in the Scriptures and studying the Word, I really did kind of get caught up in a bondage of going every time somebody called me. And I think that's why today I'm not in that bondage. Today, I've, heard, I've made the statements before that if you call me, I'll come anywhere to pray for anybody at any time. Well, I did that for a few years, but now I've got so many of them calling me, I can't do that. I literally cannot do that. So I do what I can for those that God tells me to go. I mean, if somebody comes to me and says, we've got somebody down to the hospital, or we've got somebody in another state, or whatever, and if God says go, I go. But if He doesn't, I just say, okay, God, I'll do as many as I can. But we just do, we do everything we can. You know, so, and, and another thing we've learned, too, we have so many people call us that are good Christian people that say, we, I have a friend down at the hospital that his wife's sick. Would you run down there and pray for them? I used to do that, but I don't do that at all. I do call. Just like this last week, I had a lady call me and said, one of my good friends is in the hospital. She has breast cancer, and her husband's down there. Would you go down there and pray for her? I said, you give me a phone number, and I'll call. She gave me a phone number, and I called. And when I talked to the husband, I said, I'm Pastor Thurman Scribner, a lady friend of yours by the name of so-and-so. You said that she would love for me to talk to you, and maybe I come down there and pray for your wife. What do you think? He said, that's okay. She always trying to do good for people, but we got it under control. We do not need your help. Well, see, I saved myself a wasted half a day driving to far the other side of Dallas to, in a hospital to a woman that obviously they're not going to church. I asked the man, are you all going to church? He said, no, we don't go to church and we don't need your help. Amen. You can't help those kind of people. All you can do is pray for them. But see, somebody that's a friend that loves them, they think because I'm a faith minister, I ought to just run right down there and pray for them. And I would love to, but they've got to have a little faith too. You know? And if they don't want me there, then there ain't nothing I can do for them but just pray for them where I am. So this week, let's do everything in love. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the great and awesome things You've written in this book. We thank You for the privilege to be Your sons and daughters. We thank You, Lord, that You are our Savior, our Lord, our God, our Healer, our Provider. You are everything. And, Lord, if we'll walk in the God kind of love and be led by the Spirit then there's not anything that you won't do for us. You've promised us that in your word. So, Father, we thank you and praise you that you're the King of kings and Lord of lords. And that when our hearts do not condemn us, we know that you hear our petitions and that you answer them and your answers are always yes and amen to your obedient children. Well, Father, I thank you and praise you for your word. ask you to bless everybody here this week as we go. And, Lord, I ask you to give them all a great thanksgiving. Lord, we are so grateful and so thankful for all the wonderful things that you give us and for life itself and for the cross and for Jesus and for the love. You are truly the thanksgiving sacrifice that we worship in praise. And Lord, let none of us forget all this week as we sit down to eat or drink, may we stop every time, whatever we stop to eat or drink, may we stop and worship you and thank you and praise you for everything you give us every day and mostly 
for our salvation and what you've done for us. And Father, thank you and give us all a good week and bring us back to your house on Sunday as we worship and praise you this week. In Jesus' mighty name, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen.